Good morning, church. This is George here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. Sunday morning down in my office, just spending a little time with the Lord and wanting to spend a little bit of time with you. Praise God, it's Christmas time. Christmas is this week. We're having a Christmas Eve service here at the church um, on Friday evening, about 6 p.m., it's always a sweet little service. Um, we get together and we honor our God, our Father in heaven, for all that he has done for us. What an amazing story. Come out and join us if you can. It's We keep it short. We try to keep it just an hour, and then afterwards we spend a little bit of time in the fellowship hall with some cookies and coffee and maybe some hot chocolate. Um, wonderful time to be together. That's this coming Friday, Christmas Eve, at 6 p.m. You know, this is uh, sometimes for some people the hardest time of the year. Maybe because someone's lost a loved one, um, a marriage that's ended and you're facing going through the holidays alone. Um, there's a lot of reasons why we would feel the way we feel at the most glorious time of the year. The time when, <clears throat> you know, gifts are important and telling someone that you love them is important. All in honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for coming to this earth and being born as a human being to be our ultimate sacrifice to have salvation. But knowing all that doesn't change how we feel. And this is what I want to say to you today is feelings lie to you. Feelings come and feelings go. God didn't create feelings to come and stay. They come to pass. This too will pass. I don't mean to sound like I make light of a really hard time at Christmas. That... You should just get over it. It's something that we all go through. I have suffered many Christmases because of loss in my life. There was a season in my life where it seemed like every year I was, there was someone else that wasn't going to be in my life at Christmas time because they had gone home <clears throat> to be with the Lord. And thank God that I have that reality, that knowledge that I will see them again. I don't know how you may be feeling. It could be a real raging storm that you're in the midst of, and that's what we're going to talk about today is surviving the storm. I hope this builds your faith, strengthens you, to where you can stand on your feet and say, I am going to survive this storm. Because there's greater days ahead. We have promises that he has made. Not that our life would be easy. Not that everything would be grand and lovely. But we have eternity with him. We'll get started here in just a few minutes. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27. Grab your Bible. Listen. Follow along. And I hope it's a blessing to you during this Christmas season. God bless. We'll get started in just a minute. 
Today is a real interesting time. In today's world, you know, can you say that we're challenged? Would you agree? Yeah. We're challenged. Possibly we're more challenged than any generation before us. Of course, every generation has had their problems and their issues. But today's world, we carry around with us the news in our pockets. World news. Not just what's going on locally. We, we carry around with us in our pockets the world news. You can see what's going on around the world. People dying, people suffering. And I don't know that we were mentally designed to take on and process that much information. But we are. It's pretty amazing. People are suffering all around us. Then we're told, we're told, the TV and the radio, even our computers, our telephones, we're all told that something's going to get us if we don't do what somebody's telling us to do. All right, the government. You know those guys. Now, don't take me, especially those who are listening to this outside of the walls here, that I'm an anti-vaxxer. I'm fully vaccinated against COVID. And I'm saying I praise God that I had the choice to make. And I made my choice. But in today's world, they're trying to make it to where we don't have choices. We're constantly being told that if we hold on to the most basic Christian biblical values, things like marriage between a man and a woman, abortion is wrong, alternative lifestyle is a sin. Let's just say it, plain and simple. We're now labeled as haters, homeland terrorists in our own country. You think I'm kidding. I am not. We are labeled because we don't accept what the world says we should just accept. It's okay, it's love. All we need is love. Do, 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 do. Yeah. God is love. All we need is God. Do, 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 do. That's where we need to be. Well, pastor, now I feel more depressed than I did a few minutes ago. Well, let me give you some relief. It's been going on for thousands of years. Nothing is new under the sun. Nothing is new what we're going through. We all have suffered. And we will suffer at some point in this life. It's called life, my friends. It's called life. And if you're breathing, you're living. And at some point you're going to suffer. We all do. You know, I got to tell you. Probably messed the whole message up. I am so happy right now in my life. I'm probably living out one of the most precious and best times of my life. Right here, ministering to you, being so blessed to be married to her. We're not in debt terribly. I mean, we have a house that we make a payment on. Things are good. Things are so good. That sometimes I wait for the other shoe to drop. 
Like, all right, God, it can't stay good like this all the time, can it? The question is, can we stand in our faith when things are not good? I've been in that position as a pastor where it seems like everybody's against you. I've suffered a lot of loss in my life. There, were, there was a period of, of years in my life that it was like, really, God? I had a grandson pass away, and then my wife passed away, and my mother passed away, all six, just so close together, just boom, 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 just kept coming. Really, God? We have seen the Apostle Paul suffer a lot of things throughout his ministry journeys. He's been lied about, hated by his own people. Uh, Just think about that for a minute. Just think about it. Audrey, what would you do if your family hated you? It would would break you spiritually, emotionally, and, and this, his family. Family was everything. The Jewish family was his world, was everything. And so many of them hated him to the point of death. They hated him. They stoned him and left him for dead. They imprisoned him for years, not doing anything. And yet he has never wavered in what God has called him to do. He's now about to take the cruise to Rome. And trust me, this isn't going to be on the Princess Cruise Line. This is going to be... I'm going to try to make it clear to you what they were really suffering. We are absolutely sure that Paul is in God's will for his life. Can I get an amen? amen? We are absolutely sure of it. But God never said it would be easy. He never said it'd be easy, Gracie. Never once. He is in the will of God and going where God has called him to go. This is all we know in this life, that things are going to be difficult. I promise. They're going to be difficult. Things are going to, they come and they go. It's called life. And the decisions we make have so much effect on on how it's going. Isn't that right, Michael? The, the, The decisions, simple decisions, you know, it affects what's going to happen in our life. So it brings me to point number one. Pay attention to the little things in life. Pay attention, because you're going to see through this incredible story that there were little things blown in there that only God, only God could do. His hand is there. It's working in the midst of the worst storm that I think the Apostle Paul has ever suffered. Have you ever noticed that we pay more attention to the negative things than the good things? Human nature... You you can sit there and say, no, not me, and I know you're lying. (laughs) I know. 
God forgive them. We count the red lights with frustration as we're going through Sonora. Seldom are we ever thankful for the green lights. We just slide right on through. When we're going through difficult times, it's so critically important that we pay attention to the little blessings, to notice God's hands in the small things, things that we so often take for granted. It's so easy for us to be frustrated, especially at Christmas time. When we're trying to shop and there's no one person in that cotton picking store that can help answer a question. I was shopping in Walmart just a few weeks ago. Joe was my witness. I was in a hurry. Have you ever noticed that the really good things that you want in Walmart are now behind lock and key, behind these little glass doors? I, I realize that theft is a huge thing in today's world, but you know, there's the other side of that, the folks who don't steal. So I'm standing there trying to, to get into these doors to get what I wanted, but I can't. I just, I just push a button, so I push the button. And I wait. And I wait. And I was waiting so long. She was in the, Medica the pharmacy line to get her, her order from the pharmacy. Uh, she's, that takes forever. You know that. And so man, she's walking down towards me, and I'm still standing there. And finally, I see some kid, some poor scrawny little kid wearing a Walmart vest, you know, kind of. I said, hey. He goes, what? And I said, you got the key to this thing? He goes, no, push the button. I said, I did push the button about an hour ago. I'm sorry. I told my wife something that is happening to me, and I gave it a name, and now she uses it against me. She walks up to me, and I told her what I'm, what I'm going through, trying to get, you know, the flea drops for the back of the dog's necks. That's all I was trying to get, you know, the, the, the medicine for the dogs. That's all. She smiles and says, oh, your inner princess is showing. Oh, cut like a knife. Cut like a knife. You see, that inner princess is that one that comes out of all of us. And y'all can laugh, but you got an inner princess. That it's all about you and what you're going through at the moment. That's your inner princess. I should never have told her because she uses it on me now all the time. Oh, your inner princess is having a bad day. Oh, I want to take you out. But that's what happens to us. We, ha we have this, this thing that's in us that rises up. We're, it's all about me. It's all about what I'm going through. I'm in a hurry. I'm trying to get out of here. We're leaving immediately to go to Idaho. We got to get this done. You know. The inner princess. We all seem to focus on what goes wrong in our lives and very little on what goes right. No amens there, but it's true. You know, we go through a drive-through and we quickly notice when they got our order wrong. Hmm? Hmm? You waste no time to get back in there to that little guy or little gal's face go, this is wrong. How many times you stopped and went back in to say my order was right? Praise God. Thank you. We don't do that. 
We just see the things that are going wrong in our lives. Our inner princess loves that. Well, today's story, we're going to be watching for the little things that God does for these men. And I hope to point them out. And I better get going if we want to get through this chapter. Acts 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustine Regiment. Now let me stop here for a minute. You guys know where we're at in the story, correct? The Apostle Paul, last chapter, said, No, I want to stand before Caesar and be judged, not by these Jewish people. And so... Caesar is, is Roman rights. If you're a Roman citizen and you say you want to stand before Caesar, Caesar, you shall go. So they, fine, they're sending him to Rome any way they could get him there. Have you noticed that in the New Testament, it always has shown a positive light on centurions? There's actually seven of them in the New Testament. I personally believe it's because to be a Roman centurion They have to be the best of the best, the highest scores in education, the strongest in their physical and mental conditions, as well as having shown to be the very most loyal to their commanders and to their emperor and to their country. I found a commentary, and here's one just small paragraph from Dr. Morgan and called the seven centurions mentioned in the New Testament. In all these centurions, there is something to admire, in some much to admire, in one of them at least everything to admire. The three first mentioned stand out upon the page of the New Testament and are remarkable in many ways. One came to seek the aid of Jesus Christ to save his slave and uttered the most remarkable words. He said, at your word, he will be healed. He said, I'm not worthy to come to your eat for you to come to my house. Just speak it. Because I'm a commander and I know what it means to speak the word. Just speak it and he will be healed. And Jesus said, Whoa, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Judea. It's just amazing. And then you have the centurion that was at the crucifixion. He watched a man of Nazareth dying. And in his conversation, he said, truly this is or this was the son of God. Then we have Cornelius. The highest things are written. And now here we have Julius. Julius, his name doesn't come up much in this chapter, but he's one of the small things that God did for Paul. And all those that are riding on this ship is by putting Julius in command. Verse two. So entering a ship of the Adriamethium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Astrostarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. This is interesting and and just a small thing. Luke is telling us that this Astrostarchus is a traveling partner. A traveling partner. They're allowing Paul, a prisoner, sentenced to death, 
to have traveling partners on this ship. I'm going to show you that Luke is here with him. Luke is the one writing the story. So Paul has traveling partners, which is completely unheard of in Roman law to have anything like that. Luke and Paul, his name comes up again in, in Colossians 4.10 and Philemon 1.24, as do Mark and Damas, my fellow laborers. So he's, he's in the Bible and other places, but this is the only mention, and I think it's interesting that he's mentioned right there. Verse 3. And the next day, we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Think about it. This is Con Air. You guys remember that movie? Con Air, it's a great movie. Bunch of convicts on a plane. That's what's on this ship. You have the sailors. I don't know exactly how many there are. I know exactly how many people are on the ship. I'm going to show you here shortly. But the primarily group of people are prisoners, convicts, killers, murderers, rapists, whatever they've been charged with. And here, the centurion gives Paul liberty to leave and go to his friends as well as allows Paul to have these traveling partners. This is completely unheard of because we know what happens to a Roman if Paul runs off. He could have very easily, some of you had a horse waiting, boom, jumped that thing and gone off into Asia somewhere and the centurion would have lost his head. That's what happens when you lose a prisoner. Here, this centurion is giving Paul liberty to go and be with his friends. It's so important to see these little blessings. Actually, they're big blessings. And I don't want you to miss them. Because we're going to see the problems that's going to be coming. Verse 4. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. Now we've heard of all these places. These are places where Paul had planted churches. They're all along the coast. They're just kind of moving along the coast where it's safe to, to be on a ship. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and put us on board. Take us to the picture, the next picture. That's a, a rendition of what this ship may have looked like. This Alexandrian ship is an Egyptian grain ship, probably built in Egypt, now full of grain from Egypt, probably corn, headed for, to Rome. Rome had a contract with Egypt to supply their grain and all their bread-making materials. And this would have been the last shipment of the season. I'll tell you why here in a moment. There's another picture. These ships were about 180 feet to 240 feet long. And anywhere from 40 foot in width to 69 foot across the width. And the depth was 40 to 60 foot deep. A mass for the sail up to 60 feet tall from the top of the deck. They had capability of carrying 26,000 tons of cargo. It's pretty amazing what these ships could do. But when you look at the ship, you realize it's not full of sails. It, it doesn't have the ability to tack in the wind. 
you know, to go windward. It doesn't have it. It's, it was built to go one direction. It has two oars in the back. It doesn't have a rudder to direct it. So it's just made to go straight up and straight back. That's what the ship was designed to do. And they're heading into the bad time of year. And they were spending too much time on all these stops that they were making that you just heard about. Just for description alone, you can see they were mostly built to travel in a straight line. They only had one sail and then had another sail up front, which would help them to turn. Verse 7, when they had sailed slowly many days, they arrived with difficulty in Sindias, the wind not permitting us to proceed. We sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salmon. Notice the words that, that Luke has given us with difficulty permitting us, not permitting us to proceed. We, we can see there's problems. Verse 8 says, Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Haven, Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Let's show that picture. This is the island of Crete. They had just come across a pretty good stretch of ocean, and they just rounded. Salmon is up that little red square up in the corner, that's Salmon, and they came around to Fair Havens. And now you can see they're telling us that the wind is not permitting us to go out. It's keeping us right up along this island. It's, this is the best they could do is just to move along. Verse 9 says, Now when much time had been spent, there's a problem, pay attention to that, and sailing was now dangerous. We just heard difficult. Now it's dangerous. Because the fast was already over, Paul is going to advise them. Now Luke gives us some clues here as to what time of year it is, and it's nearing the end or possibly past the end of their sailing season. The Mediterranean Sea becomes treacherous during their winter season. The first clue is, when much time had been spent, and the second clue was the fast was already over. It's probably true this fast observed here is the fast of the Day of Atonement, which is ordered to be kept on the tenth day of the seventh month called Tishra by the Jews, and consequently must have been about the 25th of our September. With much time have been spent, now it's probably October or even early November. By the time this is, they're heading into the treacherous season. So now Paul's going to advise them. Verse 10, saying, men, I perceive that the voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Paul is no rookie at this. On these missionary journeys that he had, it was all up and down the Mediterranean coast. He has traveled literally thousands of miles on this sea. He understands the seasons. He knows what's about to come. So why didn't they just stay? Verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsmen. The helmsmen are the sailors. 
There's the guys that are running the ship. And the owner, the owner of the ship is there. Then by the things spoken by Paul. He was more persuaded by what they had to say. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, opening toward the southwest and northeast and winter there. Let's take us to the next picture. Well, we know that's modern day, but that's where they wanted to go. You see here, where they're at in Fair Havens, it was just a small community. There, there was no housing on this ship, whether you realize it or not. There was no housing on the ship. It wasn't built to house people. It was built to house grain. They had to sleep on deck with a bunch of prisoners, a bunch of killers, a bunch of bad people. Can you kind of feel the sailors? They're going, I don't want to sleep on deck with these guys. I don't want to do that. And if we just make it, and go to the next slide. If you can see, the dotted line is from where they're at in Fair Havens, takes them up to Phoenix. It doesn't look like it's that far. According to the scale that I have, it's about 200 miles. So it's a pretty good, but if you just sailed along, I could see them, this, the sailors, said, well, come on, man. If you take us there, we can get a room. They have taverns, they have girls, they have all the stuff that a sailor needs. You can understand the pressure that was put on the centurion. They're thinking, okay, we could just go along the, along the island and get over to Phoenix and we'll win her there. And I'm sure this centurion would have got Paul a room if they could have just reached there. Can you see the white line? The white line is where the storm, the storm took them, the opposite direction. So let's go to the next slide. Verse 13 says... And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they have obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sail close to Crete. Supposing can cost you a lot of trouble, my friends. Brings us to point number two. Be careful of what you're supposing. Isn't that right, Michael? Be careful of what you're supposing. And listen to wise counsel. How different would the story have been if they had just said, okay, we're going to stay in Fair Havens? There probably would have been a church planted there. Be my guess. A few of the guys may have figured out a way to obtain a way to get up their Phoenix on land. I don't know. It could have been so incredibly different. But they didn't listen to wise counsel. Understand, our decisions make a difference in this life. The things you're thinking on, the things you're deciding, and if you're just not sure, get counsel. Go to somebody you trust in God's word, that you trust that you could, they, they will tell you the truth, even if you don't want to hear that truth. Have those people in your life and go get counsel. Verse 14. But not long after, a tertemptuous head of wind arose called Ecrelodon. If you're naming a wind, that's a pretty serious wind. 
Here in California, we have a wind. You, you guys know what they call a wind that we get? It's Southern California deals with it more than we do. But the Santa Ana winds, they're treacherous. They blow a hot wind and usually late summer and comes through. And if, if the fire starts, it's, it, it could take out literal cities. The Santa Ana winds, it, it's serious. I mean, they give the wind a name. Trust me, they know how serious this is. So here they thought they were going to try to just stay along the coast, and then now it's being taken. Verse 15 says, So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. What does that mean? They dropped the sails, they pulled the, their oars, and they let it drive. Whatever way the wind's going to take us. It, it's going to take us down if we don't. Verse 16 and running under the shelter of an island called Cuda. It's funny. Um, yeah, it says Cuda up there too, but I've seen other places where they put an L in there, which makes it kind of like Clada, but it's Cuda. We secured the skiff with difficulty. We secured it with difficulty. They were having a hard time. The skiff is, is their, their rescue boat that's on top of the ship. It's storming so bad that they, they had to secure it because we need the ropes. Look at verse 17. And they had taken it on board, the skiff, instead of having it hang on the side. They used the cables to undergird the ship and fearing least it should run aground on satris sands, they struck sail and were so driven. So what are they doing? They're, they having a heck of a time. So they take the skiff, they put it up on the boat, they take the ropes and the cables all they could, and they got men, probably four or six men each side, throwing it over the front, taking it under and tying it up and winching it tight to secure the ropes to help to hold the boat together. Remember, it's just wood. There's no steel. The only steel they had was in the anchors. This whole boat was made of wood. And so they're using everything they can now to just try to support the boat. Is, the next, is, is there another picture on this? Okay, back to the island picture. So you can see, you know, where they are. And they, they, the protection they're talking about is that little island there at the bottom of your screen. That little island that, that was, there was some protection there. Verse 18, it says, And because we were ex extremely tempest-tossed, and the next day they lightened the ship. So how do you think they were doing there? They're, they're throwing out whatever. Suitcases, they're gone. They would probably try to hang on to the water, although they're taking on a water. I'm sure it's raining. But they had to try to lighten the ship to keep the ship stable, to keep it afloat. I'm sure they were taking on water. Verse 19. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our hands. You realize how serious this is getting now? Whatever they had to try to save to hold the ship together, they're throwing it overboard. And it says, we. Who wrote this? Luke. He's right there with them. With his own hands, he's grabbing whatever they can and throwing it overboard of the ship just to try to keep the ship afloat. This is a nightmare. Verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, 
all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. All hope. Luke is the writer. The Apostle Paul is with him, plus this other guy that I can't say his name. All hope. The Apostle Paul thought he was going to die. I'm sure that God has called me and go to Rome, but if, if for whatever reason, if this is it, it's it. I, I, he knows that his final destination is heaven. He knows. He's secure in that, but he thinks it's over. Point number three. Never give up on your faith, Gracie. Never, ever, ever, no matter how bad the storm is, no matter how bad it's beating on you, you can be afraid. You can cling on like the cat on the wire. You can just hang on, but don't give up on your faith. Remember, we don't walk by sight. It should not be what we see or feel that motivates us. It has to be what we know. We know no matter how bad the storm may seem, he's got you. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? You don't know what I'm going through. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe I don't know what you're going through. I don't understand about how badly you feel. But I can see the storm. So my advice would be, to, let's pray together. Let's get something to eat. You'd be amazed when you're going through a storm. We don't eat. Face it, we don't. We don't eat. We don't take care of it. We don't, we, don't, we don't take care of ourselves. We're in the middle of a storm. And I'm telling you, if you see somebody going through a storm, you can say, listen, let me buy you some lunch. It could change everything. Storms are real. Let's just take a breath. Let's just focus on one good thing. Maybe that's all you'd have that particular day in that particular storm. Just one thing that you could focus on. This is God and it's good. Let's focus on that together. Verse 21. But after a long abstinence from food... Then Paul stood in the midst of them saying, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Man, I love you, Paul. Because he's as godly as he can say it. I told you so. You should have listened to me. You should have listened to my advice. Julius, you're in charge here. He commandeered the ship. It's his. You should have listened. But after he got that out of his system, verse 22, he says, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Verse 23, For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve. Thank you, Jesus. Who is standing there? The angel of the Lord typically is meaning Jesus was standing there. He came to him personally and showed up and said, Paul. Verse 24 says, Paul says, 
saying, do not be afraid. The Apostle Paul was not only afraid, he was terrified to everything that he had. You know, it's funny, I, I was listening. We just went through uh, whatever day it was here in this not back that we celebrated all our war heroes. And they were talking to this, this, yeah. And they were talking to this really old guy, one of the last living guys, you know, from World War II. And, and the lady says, what was the scariest moment? It wasn't the guns, it wasn't the bombs. He said, it was the ship and the storm. That was the worst, was being on a ship in the ocean in a storm. And you got ships running together. They're banging into each other. There's no control. You just try to get away from the other ships. That was the worst part of the whole war. You know, I could duck fire, but I couldn't duck the ship. Most horrible thing that he had ever been through. We got to see how bad this was. The Apostle Paul said, that's it. I'm done. And Jesus comes to him and says, do not be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar, just like we told you. And indeed, God has granted you all these who sail with you. Verse 25, therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as he told me. Verse 26, he gives him another little, little warning here. However, we must run aground on a certain island. They're in the middle of the ocean, the, the Mediterranean Sea. They have no idea where they're at. Are we going to run aground on what? He said on an island. What island? I don't know. He didn't say where. He just said an island. This is what's going to happen. Verse 27 says, Now on the 14th night had come. Tim, I know you nearly killed me, but can you imagine me trying to survive 14 days? I would have thrown myself over the edge of that boat. Uh, you would have thrown me over the boat. I I'd never been so sick in all my life. And that wasn't even a storm. It was just rough seas. 14 nights. They couldn't eat. They couldn't drink. They couldn't do anything as we have been driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Well, how were they doing that? How did they sense that? They could hear something. They could hear waves breaking. They, they, they sensed something. There's something that a sailor has. They just had, they know something's coming. I sense it. I can hear it. Something's changing. Verse 28 says, And they took soundings and found that it was 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it was 15 fathoms. The ocean floor is coming up. A fat, you know, taking a sounding, all it was was a, a lead ball on a rope. And they drop it down until it hits and you measure the rope. That's, I'm sure their ropes were marked so it was easily done. But that's what it was. So they could tell just how deep the ocean was. And if it's, if it's coming up, we're heading towards land. Verse 29, and fearing lest they should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, which means, tells me that they're going backwards. <laughs> but that's just the way they're being tossed. They threw it over the stern, and they're using the anchors to just slow them down. It's not going to stop them. The winds are too difficult. The wind, they're just dragging these anchors. 
through the water and it's to try to stabilize the ship. They just threw him off. Fearing they would run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And, and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, I don't know about you, but I don't blame these sailors. I'd rather take my chances on the skiff. I, we want out of here. We, we just want off of this ship. When they let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. We all have a tendency to be like these sailors. We sometimes think we see an easy way out of a situation, so we try to take it. We don't care about the action, what the, these actions will affect others around us. Our inner princess is operating now. We're selfish and we don't care who we hurt. That's the number one reason why suicide rate is so high, because people think that it's an easy way out. You have alcohol, drugs are another way to medicate instead of dealing with the problem by hiding behind a bottle or inside a pill. But the easy way out is not God's way out at all. You realize he doesn't take us out. He takes us through. Every single story you can look up in the Bible, he doesn't take them out of the problem. He takes them through it. And we have to be ready. God wanted the men to stay on the ship until they crashed against the shore. Paul may have not have known God's reasoning what is important here is that he chose to obey, and so should we. Choose to obey. If we see any easy way out, and God doesn't give us the permission to go that way, my advice to you is don't. Don't go. God's never stopped the earth from spinning just so I could step off. Never has, never will. We have to go through the problems that we are going through. These problems is what allows God to shape my character. And besides, I'm not sure where I would go if I stepped off anyway. Verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the sailors cut away from the ropes from the skiff and they let it go. Climbed back on the ship and they cut the ropes and let it go. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day. You have, you have waited and continued without food and eating nothing. Verse 34, Therefore I urge you, take nourishment, for, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall off your head of any of you. Eat. Take some food. When you're going through the roughest time of it, that's when you need to call me and say, let's go to lunch. I'll force feed you. Food. Food makes a difference. 
It's what gives us strength and the companionship of someone else that you can share what you're going through. Take nourishment in a time of trouble. We tend to forget. And you can't fight when you're weak. You can't. You'll lose. Verse 35. So when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And when they had taken it and began to eat. Verse 36. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. It's amazing what a little bit of food can do for you. Both physical and mental food. It can, it can change everything. They were encouraged. Verse 37. And in all, there were 276 persons on this ship. Now, we just talked a minute ago, 180 feet by 40 feet wide, whatever. 276 people. That's not a very big area. Sleeping together, hanging on together, crying out your life together. I mean, this church is about 100 feet from there to there and you know, 50 foot wide. I mean, it's about, this is it. Imagine 276 people in here trying to survive a storm is incredible. Verse 38, so when they had eaten, they lightened the ship and they threw out the wheat into the sea. The cargo, the precious cargo, the last shipment, I'm sure, to Rome. They threw it out. And remember, the owner of the ship is here. He knows at this point he's lost all. He's not, all I can do is try to save my life. Let's, let's throw, and they were in pots, big ceramic pots full of, of wheat. And they threw it over. Uh, what verse am I on? 38, 39. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land. They could see it. They observed a bay with a beach, oh, praise God, into which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosening the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made it for the shore. I think there's a map. This one's a little more difficult to see, but can you see the line that goes way down. That was the storm that took them up. Now they're going way up, and now they're heading again out towards the Malta Island, which is that little spot towards the left side of the screen there. They're just, they're, they're running into what's called Malta. But striking a place where the two seas met. There's two seas that come together there. They ran the ship aground, and the plow stuck first, and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So they didn't make it to the beach. They wound up running into a, a coral and crashed the ship, the ship up on this coral and rocks and things that were there. And the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. Do you blame them? You guys know what Roman law is. If we turn them loose and they run, that, 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 that it could be our lives. They were going to kill the prisoners and, because they might swim and escape. And remember, Roman law, they, they, verse 43, but the centurion wanting to save Paul, this Julius, he's wanting to save Paul. 
he kept him from their purpose and commanded those who could swim to jump overboard and first get the land. And the rest, the ones who couldn't swim, take a board, take some part of the ship. So it was that they all escaped to the land. They all made it. They all made it. Next week, we're going to see how things went from there. You know, just because we're operating in the will of God doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That's why I said sometimes I get a little nervous when my life is so good right now with all of you and with my wife and my family and everything is just so good. It's like, all right, God, I should be fighting. I should be fighting the fight, you know, and struggling. But maybe my decision making has been a little bit better. I think we have a lot more control of what's going on in storms in our life by the decisions we make and the wise counsel that we listen to. They could have avoided all of this had they had listened to the counsel at the very beginning of the story. But such is life. We're not promised anything. I remember, Gracie, when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, I said, today is not, from today on, it's going to be a battle. Get ready. Hang on. Because Satan doesn't want you to make it. He doesn't. He, no. It's going to be a battle. I've been so worried about you. I'm so glad that you're here. Praise God. People, we go through hard times. And I don't know what your next one is. I don't know what my next one is. But I know where my face stands. Tony, could you come back? I didn't realize it was quarter after 12. I'm sorry. It's Sunday. We can, we can do this. It's so important that we realize just because you're a Christian doesn't mean everything's going to be fine. It doesn't mean that at all. I could, I, could, I could take my two military guys and say, you guys tell your story. You guys want to hear some storms? It, it, it doesn't mean, we're not guaranteed anything, are we, Jim? We're not promised. That, we are promised one thing. Promised. We will arrive. We will arrive. And if we could stand on that alone... We can suffer the losses we have here in this life. Why would I want to throw out what I'm promised? Because the storm is so bad here in this life. Merry Christmas, everybody. But you know what? For Christmas, for some people, is absolutely devastating. Maybe... You lost your husband last year or your wife or maybe it's been 10 years or 20 years Christmas is still here and you still deal with that loss I get it I understand been there but I stand on the promise that I will arrive I will arrive one day in that place that he has promised us 
and I'll take every good day that I have here and give him praise and glory. Father, thank you for the, for the sunshine today. Thank you for the rain that you've given us. It doesn't mean things are going to be rosy. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you that she has to live with that inner princess of mine. Let's all stand together.